Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. If you're new or if you're visiting for the very first time, I'd like to welcome you. We're glad that you're here, and I pray that you will experience God. Having said that, we're beginning a new series entitled Knowing God. Knowing God determines everything. Some people shrink back from tough situations because um, their experience with God is not deep and personal. And as a result, it's hard to trust him. And this affects how we deal with life. When our faith is weak, we're easily swayed by circumstances. This is a five-week series, and we will present five attributes of God to strengthen your faith and encourage you to pursue him. Some of you are already, some of you are at a different place. You're confident in your relationship with God, and you're deeply in love with him. And this series offers you an opportunity to be even more encouraged in experiencing God and all that he is. And so whether you're just beginning in the journey, or whether you've known God for a long period of time, there's something here for everybody. This series is taken entirely from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is in a category of books called the poetry and wisdom writings. In the Old Testament, there are five categories of books. The first five books are known as the Pentateuch. Penta means five. Tuch means scrolls or books. And so in the first five books, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then there are the historical books. And there we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then you have the poetic and wisdom writings. And here we have Job and the book of Psalms, along with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. These are followed by the major prophets and then the minor prophets. Now, the purpose of showing you the various categories of books in the Old Testament is, is simply to help you see that there are different genres of writing. And every genre has a different style. And the writing style of the Psalms is poetic. Now, poetry in the Old Testament is not like our poetry today. In our poetry, uh, we focus on rhyming sentences. But in the Old Testament, poetry was about creating structure in the way thoughts relate to each other. It was about the relationship between thoughts. And so today we begin with Psalm chapter 8. And I invite you to listen to the flow of thought. Listen and watch carefully to find a certain order in the major ideas. Now, don't be distracted by the verses. Those were put there later. Pretend the verses aren't there. It might even help to close your eyes. And just by listening, take mental note of the flow of ideas in these nine verses. Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. For the choir director, a psalm of David, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. O Lord, Our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, 
putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean's currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Now, I don't think that a simple reading of the Psalms does justice to what this is supposed to be. Verse 1 begins, a Psalm of David to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. In other words, this is supposed to be accompanied by music. I mean, could you imagine if we spent the first 30 minutes of church with no worship team up here, and all we did was to read the words of the songs over and over and over again? That would be so lame. And that's what I just did. I just read to you the words of a song. To compensate for the absence of music, it would be a whole lot better if we called the Psalms emotional poetry on fire. That would be a whole lot closer to what this is supposed to be. That's what worship is. You know, when you worship, you probably didn't know you were into poetry. As our worship team will tell you, Poetry and music have a certain order and structure. The first observation we see is this. The psalm begins and ends with the same phrase. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. This declaration of the majesty of God forms the bookends of Psalm 8. King David then asks a penetrating question. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? This question is in the middle of the psalm. And if you will observe what leads up to that question, and if you will also observe what follows from that question, then we notice the psalm has a particular structure. And it looks like this. In verse 1, it begins with God's majestic name. In the end of verse 1 and verse 2, It talks about God's dominion. And then in the middle, verses 3 and 4, the central question is, what is man? And then in verses 5 through 8, it talks about the dominion of man. And then in verse 9, it closes again with God's majestic name. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. Or if you have your device. The psalm begins and ends with the majesty of God. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. In other words, God displays his majestic name in the greatness of creation. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, everyone knows the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and divine nature. In other words, everyone knows God, whether they care to acknowledge him or not. Now, one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of discernment. I can tell if something is divine or human or satanic. And so it's very easy for me to know if somebody's a Christian or not. In the early days of my marriage, when Terry and I were getting to know each other, sometimes I would say to somebody, hey, you're a Christian. And I was always right. And Terry would go, stop saying that. Don't do that. What kind of opening line is that? (laughs) One day we were in the Philippines. My my father-in-law used to live in Angeles City. It's in Pampanga, about two hours north of Manila. 
And uh, I was in a mall, and I was looking for one of those places that sells cell phone accessories. And so I went to this kiosk that uh, was advertising real estate. You know how they have all these condominiums being built, and they're passing out flyers and brochures. And I went up to the lady. I said, hey, do you know where they sell cell phone accessories? And she goes, yeah, it's on the other floor. You go down this way. And, and so I turned around, and I thought to myself, she's a Christian. I turned around. I said, hey, you're a Christian. She goes, Yes. I said, well, you know, my wife and I, this was in the early days when we first started visiting my father-in-law. I said, we're looking for a church in the area. I said, can you recommend a good church? I said, well, you can come to my church. <laughs> so she told us how to get there. We went and we visited. Turns out she was the worship leader. And just that day, she'd been talking to God and saying, Lord, are you even using me? Am I a witness or a light at all? And then I ran into her and said, hey, you're a Christian. <laughs> Anyway, that ended up being our home church. Every time we went, we probably went back six or seven times. You know, we'd always visit. That was our church in Angeles. Another time, I was on a 10-day team to Myanmar, formerly Burma. And the team was sitting in a restaurant. We were eating a meal. And the owner came out, and she was mingling with uh, these foreigners, new visitors in her restaurant. I could tell she was a Christian. So just out of the blue, I said, hey, you're a Christian. She goes, oh, no. I, Buddhist. I said, no, I can see God in you. She goes, oh, yes, I pray every day. I cannot do anything without him. (laughs) Everybody knows about God, whether they care to acknowledge him or not. The second part of this psalm is about God's dominion. David said, your glory is higher than the heavens. Your majestic name fills the earth. Now, the definition of glory is high renown. Renown means the condition of being known or being talked about by many people. It's about fame. So God is known by everybody. The definition of glory is also about high honor won by notable achievements. And so think about that for a moment. God's achievements and the knowledge of him is higher than the heavens. It goes beyond, the dominion of him goes beyond the farthest star. The sphere of his influence goes beyond the furthest galaxy that you can imagine. And then in verse 2, which is a little harder to understand, David said, you taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Now, fortunately, Jesus happened to explain this very verse. Do you remember the time when Jesus was in the temple and he overturned the money changers tables? It says, after that, people brought the blind and the lame to Jesus and he healed them. And then it says, the children began to praise him. And, it's, and Matthew goes on to say that the religious leaders were offended. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. He said, haven't you ever read the scriptures? And then Jesus quotes this verse. You have taught children and infants to give you praise. So the point is this, whether it's the farthest galaxy in the universe or whether It's the mind and heart of a small child. The glory of God is expressed. Here's the point. The dominion of God is everywhere. It's everywhere. And then David asked the central question. 
In verses 3 and 4, he says, what is man? When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You know, David said, when I go out at night and I look up at the sky and I see the stars, I ask myself, who are we? Who are we that God would be mindful of us? That's the question of the centuries. Who are we? Martin Luther King, he once delivered a message entitled, What is Man? based on this psalm. He said, although there is widespread agreement in asking the question, there is fantastic disagreement in answering it. I mean, if you were to go and do a survey with the man on the street and just ask them, who are we? What is the basic nature of man? What are the answers that you're going to get? Some people are going to say, well, man is sinful. Other people are going to say, well, I think man is basically good, and he's definitely perfectible. Some people believe that man is a little more than animals. Other people would raise man to a height so high to make him in a position of almost being like God. Who are we? This question was asked twice in the Bible. Do you know who else asked the same question? Job said, what is man that you make so much of him? And that you set your heart on him. Visit him every morning and test him in every moment. Both David and Job, they pondered why God, having such great power and majesty, would take interest in you and I. When you consider the entire universe, David was amazed that God even thinks about us. Part four of this psalm is about man's dominion. Verses five through eight. Yet you made him, you made them, meaning men, only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean's currents. This passage is very similar to Genesis. God created man and gave him authority over all the animals. David was amazed that God would exalt weak and finite man to such a place of honor. Instead of human beings being a little higher than animals, as taught in evolution, we are actually a little lower than God. We are co-regents with God. A regent is a person appointed to administer or to govern. After God made Adam and Eve, he commanded them to have dominion over the earth, and all living creatures were to be under them. But because of sin, this dominion was never fully realized. Then Jesus came. He regained the dominion up for us. And through our relationship with him, he is restoring your original destiny. To have dominion over the things around you. That is your destiny. Notice this dominion is not over people. We are to serve people. Our dominion is over everything else. I know this is an amazing claim. For some of you, this may be hard to believe. You know, can we really experience victory over sin and Satan and the world? Can we really experience positive change? This is where the rubber meets the road. It's all about what you believe. The Bible says the answer is a resounding yes. 
And if he hasn't already done so, I want to invite you to, to do an experiment with God. And just ask God to reveal this to you. He is the revealer of truth. And he wants to help you walk in your destiny. But you have to want it. You have to want it. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. The last part of Psalm 8 comes full circle and closes again with God's majestic name. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. All of Psalm 8 is contained within this phrase. David begins and ends with the majesty of God. In summary, the overarching theme is his majesty and his glory. For centuries, astronomers have struggled over the purpose of the universe. They look and they're exploring and they're realizing the universe is so vast. What is the reason? What is the purpose of the universe? If it's just a home for you and I here on planet Earth, then most people would say, you know, it's way oversized, just way too large. And that makes sense. I mean, if it's just a home for you and I, why the vastness of billions of light years that go on and on? But what if the purpose of the universe is to declare the glory of God? Then it's just about the right size after all. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for considering us. Lord, in all your glory and your majesty, we are humbled before you that you would be mindful of us. Lord, what amazing good news. Father, we are so thankful that you care for us, that you love us, and that you have chosen to be with us and invited us to be with you in this amazing love relationship. God, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. And Lord, make us aware of your presence. Lord, allow us to experience you in ways that are real. And if you would continue in an attitude of prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite you just to ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me in this season as we begin 2017? Lord, what is it that you want me to hear? What is it that you want me to do? I want to give you a moment to do some business with God. Father, I thank you that you still speak today. I thank you for what you're saying and what you're doing in the hearts of your people here now. Father, whatever it is that you're doing, I ask that you would empower your people, fill them with your spirit, and enable them to be able to walk in the assignment that you're giving them. Father, would you bless them and seal them in the work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to address maybe another segment here in the room today. As you're hearing me talk about experiencing God, 
this is something that's been on your heart and mind recently. You've been actually searching, wanting to experience him. And if you've never made a formal choice, if you've never made a conscious decision to open up to God and invite him to come into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If that sounds like something you want to do, it's actually quite simple. You simply have to make the decision. And then express that decision to God. That's what we call prayer. What I'll do is I'll pray out loud and you can hitchhike on my words. God will hear you. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I'm here. I'm here to open up to you. God, today I'm making a choice to open my life, my mind and heart, and I invite you to come into my life. God, I ask that you would forgive me for things I've done. You know what they are. God, I thank you for Jesus, what he did for me on the cross. I thank you for forgiveness. And by faith, I receive Christ and I receive your forgiveness. And I ask you to give me a new start. Lord, show me a new way to live, a new beginning in this new year. God, I ask that you would make me the kind of person you want me to be and I ask that you would show yourself to me, make yourself real. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.